So I want to talk uh, today about resilience, how to be a resilient disciple. And I believe that all of us can grow in resilience as we grow closer to God. In fact, I believe that God bestows it upon us as we spend time with him. So why are we looking at this series of resilience? Well, we wanted to look at it because we realized just the challenge for most of us in the room to keep going for the long haul and to bounce back after difficult times. I was chatting to Pip, my wife, who is a, a midwife, works in hospital, and she sort of suggested that in the past, uh, hospital staff were expected to simply be resilient in a really tough workplace. And so what happened is many people just left, or many people really struggled, many people are off long-term sick. And now the focus is trying to, as best they can, help build resilience, as a lot of people in the workforce don't actually know how to develop it themselves. And so I guess we're trying to do the same thing as a church. If you picture some rapids uh, and a raft on the rapids, I've never done this, it looks amazing. Um, but if you imagine, this is what it can feel like in life sometimes. We're on a raft and the waters are turbulent and swirling. And this preaching series is, is trying to communicate something about staying afloat. It's trying to say, look, we will tip over and be lost in the water unless we know how to keep going when we're tired, how we navigate choppy waters. And so just to start us off, I want to get you guys thinking... What does culture or what do you or your friends do or say that sort of helps us when times are tough? What things in our culture do we have that build resilience? If you like, what's the raft that society tells us to get on to get us through difficult times or to bounce back from hard times? You're all looking so blank at me. It's hilarious. But just turn to the person next to you. Just have a quick chat. What are the things that society tells us should keep us going that builds resilience? Okay, I feel like I've lost you now. I may never get you back. But um, let's hear from the crowd. What are some of the things society tells us help build resilience? Teamwork. What's that? Teamwork. Teamwork, excellent. Positive mental attitude. Keep taking the tablets. Keep taking the tablets, yep. <laughs> What's that? Alcohol, keep taking the alcohol. Look after yourself. Keep litter picking. That might help you, Walter. Pay it forward. Self-care. Hedonism, trying to enjoy life, all about you. Okay. A lot of those things are really good things, and they're things that we have at our disposal to use to help us when things get stressful and difficult. But I just want you to know all those things 
They just provide a break. They provide respite. They provide temporary, temporary relief or escapism, but they don't ultimately deal with the worry and the fear and the performance culture that we live in. And they don't really build emotional and spiritual strength in the long term. And I believe one of the reasons is they don't is because ultimately we are built to find our resilience from God. It's the difference between a battery and solar power. Battery, you can plug in, it works for a bit, but eventually loses power. Solar, pan, uh, solar power, not in Leeds, but maybe let's think Mediterranean, um, that power from the sun just keeps that thing going. Remember, resilience isn't just static, that you have it or you don't. It's like a muscle that can be strengthened. And I believe as we attach ourselves to God, he will build us up from inside and this psalm that we've just read, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in it. Notice that it doesn't just talk about God being a refuge, but it talks about him being a strength. Resilience isn't something we achieve, it's something that we receive. So how do we receive spiritual strength or resilience? Well, Psalm 46. Number one, the biggest message of Psalm 46 is God's presence is with you. Uh, Tom and I both have dogs. We were chatting just this week about separation anxiety, which is when you leave your dog and how long you can leave your dog. As Christians, we should never have separation anxiety when it comes to us and God. The whole poem is constructed around this central theme that's repeated at the beginning and the middle and the end. So it's the first verse, it's the central verse, and it's the end verse. And the refrain is, God is with us. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. Verse 11, to end it, the Lord Almighty is with us. God is with us. Why don't just turn to the person next to you and say, God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. And he's more present than a friend or a spouse or a relative. He is an ever-present help. And we know Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's promised to never forsake us, never to leave us. And you know what? When trouble hits, the, the lie that comes to us most strongly is that we are alone, that God is absent. It's very specific that this poem has God is with us written all the way through it. And resilient disciples trust this central thing, despite emotions, despite perhaps a lack of intimacy when times are hard, when life is bewildering, God is with us. Why? Because he promises it. He promises to be with us. We try to teach this to our kids growing up. And our kids sometimes would be scared of the dark. And so upstairs we'd say, don't fear, God is with you. And I remember one evening as we sent the kids to bed, one of my kids um, sort of went up the stairs and he was carrying a pretend like heavy suitcase as he sort of went up the stairs. And I said, like, what are you doing? I'm taking God with me. <laughs> and it's the idea that God never leaves us, never forsakes us, very powerful. So that's the first thing to notice about Psalm 46. Number two is that the psalmist wants to talk about God's power over nature. 
Let's read it together. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You know, in the UK, we can feel a little bit distance, distant from the violence of these words. Land shifting, violent quaking, nations roaring, mountains crumbling. These things are both real and metaphorical. So God does have power over nature. And that's important if you live in Turkey or Syria right now to know that and believe that. But he has power over all this turbulence represents. And the biblical authors, all through Old Testament to New Testament, they often use the image of tumultuous waters to describe dangerous situations or dangerous people or enemy nations. When you read the book of Revelation, you find out about the new creation where there's no more sadness and sorrow. Interestingly, the, the writer says there's no sea. It's because the water represented enemies, turbulence, people attacking you. So in this psalm, the water is pounding a refuge, and the refuge is unmoved. And this refuge represents God. God is this refuge, this unshakable rock. Any Lord of the Rings fans will think of Helm's Deep. Next picture, please. Which is cut into the rock, this fortress, this thing that can't be invaded and overpowered whatever nature or enemies throw at us, at us. So this truth should tell us that every other fortress and refuge that we run to is weak in comparison. So whatever it is that we run to, to find a bit of safety, a bit of escapism, a bit of security, it's nothing in comparison to the helm's deep of God. He is our refuge so it needs to be he needs to be owned by you make him your refuge you need to live in it he's not your refuge he's our refuge and strength he's equal to every emergency that comes away um, we do not need to fear with God on our side fear is irrational because who we have with us so God's power over nature thirdly God's power over nations Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth mounts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The scene suddenly shifts from raging seas and falling mountains to people that are churning and shaking. It's not nature that's churning, it's people. They're pounding on Jerusalem and its temple, which is the dwelling place of God. It's nations, people with power. Think of an army invading a city, breaching its walls. And what the psalmist says is God's power is like a river that keeps a city alive, even when it's cut off from the outside with a siege of a foreign army. There is strength to be found in the fortress that protects the people. Uh, I had the privilege of going to Jerusalem about 30 years ago, and I went to this place, which is Hezekiah's Tunnel. 
which was a tunnel that was, uh, there's a spring outside the walls of Jerusalem. And so they built this tunnel that went from outside the city walls all the way down into the Pool of Siloam, which is inside the city walls. So it means if the city was attacked, then they would always have a water source. They started the engineers digging from both ends. And you can, next slide, you can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel and you actually reach the point where the engineers met in the middle and they were about that much out on either side. And I walked through this about waist deep in water with a little candle hoping that I was going to get through into the city. This river in the city of God, while it's in crisis, is so precious that it doesn't just keep the people alive, but it makes the people glad. Resilience means there's joy even in pain and threat. But this river and city raises an important question. Where is it? This particular city that makes God uh, glad with the water of life and the river is presence. It's not just any city. The psalmist is referring to Zion. He's referring to the city of Jerusalem. But for Christians, no longer is there a particular place where God has pledged his special favor and presence. There is a particular person who is God's own son, Jesus Christ. So as Christians, when we read this psalm, we don't rally to a particular city but we rally to a particular person who is our refuge. Jesus, who sends his Holy Spirit to be like this overflowing spring on the inside. Resilience or strength is bestowed on us as we receive the Spirit. The church is now the place of God's presence, his river, his Spirit. You know, I was chatting a while ago, several years now, to someone in Mosaic who was having a particularly difficult time. And they were saying to me how challenging it was to come to church on a Sunday uh, because everything in them just wanted to be alone and didn't want to have to interact, interact with people and they didn't want to deal with silly questions or unhelpful comments or, and all the stuff that we do because we're human around here. Yeah. And I said to them, I said, you know, I, I totally understand this is going to be a battle for you, but God has called you into this family. It's a body that serves one another. And if you think you're going to find your strength outside of it on your own, then you've misunderstood what church community is all about. This is a people of the Spirit. This is where God dwells amongst us. This is the new temple. This is where the Spirit of God meets us. And sure, it's more than just a service. It's us as a community. But the important point was for them to say, don't I know it's hard, but don't go it alone because you need to receive. You need to be amongst the people of God. And they would say maybe, you know, a year later down the line when they had committed most Sundays, they sort of made an effort to be here. They said, we're so glad we went against what we actually feel and we trusted in by coming. There is a work that God wants to do in us as we're filled with his spirit in community together. Amen? Amen. And fourthly, God doesn't just have power over nature or nations, but God's power is to bring peace. Notice we shift from nations and nature shaking God's people to God doing the shaking. 
He's breaking the bow. He's breaking the spear. Verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He overcomes the threat of the pounding nature and pounding nations. He does an end to the weapons of war. He's a warrior ending the war. God speaks this sort of sense of victory over the hush of a battlefield where victory has been won. And in this sense, for the author, he's writing in faith about the victory God's going to bring Jerusalem as they face their enemies. But he's also looking to the end of time where God will wrap up history and bring his kingdom and his peace in its entirety. And we live in this in-between time where we see God intervening in part, but not in full. Everything the psalmist has said so far would be for nothing if God wasn't strong enough to bring it about. The psalmist wants us to know that when the entire world rages and totters, when everything conspires against you, the whole power of the cursed world is heading in your direction, what will God do? Verse 6, he utters his voice, and the earth melts before him. It melts. The God of hosts, the God who fights on our behalf, is with us as a fortress, and all he has to do is speak to win the battle. And then to prove his power, the psalmist calls us to look at the works that he's accomplished. He's brought desolations, he's stopped wars, he's broken bows, shattered spears, burnt chariots with fire. In other words, nothing is a match to him. And for this side of the cross, remember this is before Jesus had come when this was written, on this side of the cross, all of God's plans and all of his major victories have been won by Jesus on the cross. Through Jesus' suffering on the cross and then through his resurrection, he's won a victory over law, sin, and death. Hallelujah. He's brought into effect the rule of God and the blessing of every nation, uniting believers from every nation to himself. You know, in olden times, after a battle, a conquering army would be able to sort of pick through the city and pick through the defeated soldiers and claim the spoils of war. Because I am in Christ and he is in me, I share the spoils of Christ's victory. Our spoils of war, as we share in his power over sin and law and death, overcome the very things that usually are our downfall. The things that cause us to feel lacking resilience. He breaks the power of addiction or sin or lies or our past or the shame and guilt we feel. We, he provides this freedom and victory to be able to stand clear from a lot of the things that are our downfall. Knowing there is victory, well, like, if you truly believe that in this life, that this is the God that you are in relationship with, it just does something to you on the inside. It means that you don't have to hang your head in shame and defeat. Even though your life looks defeated, there is one that is in you that is greater than he that is in the world. Nothing, nothing that rises against you can stand before him. And if you believe that, and you're growing to believe that, then it 
gives you this strength. Strength is bestowed on you. It's not you just white-knuckling it and saying, oh, I must be strong. It's coming to a God that defeats the very things that are your worst enemies, and you get to stand in the good of that victory. It's great news. And then lastly, God says, be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Those words for be still in Hebrew, so this is Old Testament originally written in Hebrew, is better translated cease and desist. So imagine a policeman breaking up a fight. So it's chaos, policeman wades in, pulls everyone apart and just says, cease and desist. Stop what you are doing and be still. Stop your frenetic activity and be still. And you know what? I think a lot of us read that and think, well, that's a great word. I'm going to grab a coffee, find my favorite sofa, I'm going to let God handle my problems, get a little bit of me time. But God wants this to land with force. It's the same phrase that Jesus uses when he calms the storm in Mark 4. When he says, peace, be still. It's the same force. I've got a dog. She's a little bit on her last legs at the moment. But if I give her a treat, I will say, sit. And then she waits. And then I give her the little treat. The be still is God sit to you. And there is something active in the stillness. And this is what it is. It's admitting that we are not God and actively throwing ourselves on him. So it's not just retreating for me time, which, you know, all of us need space. All of us need time. But me time as our world presents it is self-reliance. It's basically retreating from everyone so you can be sort of left alone to yourself. What the psalmist says, well, do that, but make it God time. Throw yourself on God. Don't just retreat into your own little private world, but throw yourself on the God who has power over nature and nations. Do you guys understand the difference? It's really important that. Please don't hear me saying that we shouldn't get time on our sofas with coffees. I'm saying it's what we do in that moment. If we don't go to God, then you will find you're, 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 you're holding on to the battery, not the solar power. It will have a limited lifespan. As we do, resilience is imparted, it's received, it's given in grace. And so let me finish with this. If by nature you are someone who would say, I don't have much resilience. It's either because you've been worn down or you just know as a person your capacity is not that big. Or perhaps life circumstances means that you just don't feel like you've got much in the tank. Well, I think what I would want to say honestly to you is, like, don't just go to the things that our world tells us to recharge but come to a God who wants to bestow strength on you so it will avoid you crashing and burning. Like it's not a great result for you or for anyone if you just dive down and end up on the floor unable to move for 24 months. Like there is a way of getting through life 
no matter what comes our way, where strength is bestowed on us, and we might be on our hands and knees, but we're not done. And at the same time, it's a word for those of you that are quite strong, that would say, I'm actually quite a resilient person. I've got a big capacity. I can do quite a lot of stuff that other people can't. For you, you need to humble yourself and admit your lack of power in order to have that resilience bestowed on you. Otherwise, it's just coming up from yourself. It's just like your own hard work and your own sense of power. And again, it does not last. So whether you feel weak in the room or whether you feel strong in the room, we come to a God who wants to bestow the resilience on us. How can we be sure? Well, let me finish with this. Verse 10 tells us why God promises his protection, his pleasure, and his power to fragile and uncertain people. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God's purpose is his glory. God promises to glorify his name in the earth. God promises to show that he indeed is the greatest protection. He indeed is the greatest pleasure. He indeed is the greatest power. So when we wonder, God, will you turn up? Will you help me when I ask? Will you strengthen me with this sort of power? Of course he will, because his name is at stake. Of course he will. He will keep working us because he wants to sustain me for his glory. And so it is about you, but it's not really about you. It's about him. And his name being glorified in the earth. And God is committed that all people would know him and bow down to him. So he will invest in you and he will invest in you and he'll invest in you because his name is at stake. So we need to stop. We need to become still. I'd love you to imagine that the next time you get a moment alone. The Lord gently and lovingly saying, sit. And that will change your posture towards him. Let's ask for help. Let's remember that he is God and we are not. And let's throw our faith and confidence onto his power. Amen? Amen. Do you want to stand with me? Love it if the bank came back. This is a beautiful moment for us to worship and to do that very thing. Also, um, might be good for us to spend some time praying for each other so if you're on the prayer team if you have been around here a long time want to pray for some people then why don't you as we start to worship just make your way to the back and if you know today it'd be really helpful for you to have someone come and pray for you for that strength to be bestowed on you just make your way to the back and for the rest of us we are going to worship together let's pray heavenly father thank you so much for the the majesty of Psalm 46, how it shows us your power over nature, over nations, your power to bring peace and your ability to bestow strength and resilience on us, your people. We just confess, Lord, we're so sorry where we've just tried to find it in the wrong places and we admit now that we need to find it in you. So we come running into worship. We come running into your presence. Come and meet with us, God. Amen.